You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Mama's talking loud. Mama's talking loud. Mama's talking tough. Mama's talking help and being good with good enough. Mama's talking life. Mama's talking proud. Mama's talking. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. And today we have with us the youngest female to ever win a Tony Award at the age of 11 for her portrayal of Mary Lennox in The Secret Garden on Broadway. Um, She's been seen on numerous television shows, most recently as Joey Riverton in Good Trouble, but also Girls, The Mentalist, Without a Trace, Ghost Whisperer. I mean, Hello. Additional theater credits are, uh, include appearing in Les Miserables, James Joyce's The Dead, both on Broadway, and starring and writing in three one-woman shows. Holy damn. Daisy Egan, Fuck You, I Love You, Still Daisy After All These Years, and One for My Baby. A published award-winning writer with a loyal and growing audience, Daisy is a fierce fighter and activist and a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Daisy Egan, Welcome. Hi. Wow. What an intro. That was, that was exciting. <laughs> we, we like to make our guests super uncomfortable before. I mean, I want to meet them. that person. <laughs> and she's a mom. I mean, yeah. And she's yeah. a mom. I just right. have to say though, when you were talking about uh, Daisy winning the Tony award, like I remember watching you win, Aww. being a kid myself and being like crying and just Aww. being like, oh my God, if she can do it. So can I. <laughs> That's lovely that you had that reaction because I was the same age and crying. And I said to my parents, oh, no. now I'll never be the youngest person to win a Tony oh, Award. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. That- had that been your goal up until that moment or oh you didn't know God. until that moment? I didn't know. Like my goal wasn't to be the youngest person. I just knew right. I wanted to win a Tony award, you know, right. but, um, but you and I are like the same age uh, yeah. pretty much. And so when that happened, I literally said, I was like, well, there it goes. Well, <laughs> I might as well give up now. Yeah. <laughs> I can't handle it. Just, Oh my God, Daisy. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, the first thing, um, that we usually ask our guests is, will you please tell us about your child? Um, yeah, we're going through it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to hearken back to a time when we Just weren't. Give us, give us the, like the <laughs> overview of Monty. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. Uh, Monty is seven. He is a little firecracker. Um, he is a drummer. 
Uh, he loves to drum. He was just drumming a minute ago. Um, let's see. He's finishing first grade this week. Mm. Um, he is very good at math, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know. He, what else? He's a good swimmer. Yeah. Um, this morning he was in a, a reading club that I signed him up for, which he was furious that I hadn't checked him checked in like with him before I signed him up for it. Oh. And they were she had given them pre- prefaces, prefaces, prefixes, like Prefixes? the root of the yeah, the root of the word oh. and a suffix mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and like like a list of each and they had to come up with as many words as possible. And he's sitting there and he's writing and he's getting so frustrated and he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I go, Monty, it's not a competition. And it was literally a competition. <laughs> so you're like, uh, actually it was. Oh yeah. my God. Well, yeah. I wanna I'm gonna sidebar you later because I wanna see what that program is for I was gonna Elliot. say Jess, that'd be good for Elliot. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. she's a big reader and so we're looking for she's uh. a year behind Monty, but yeah. Um, it's great. Oh my gosh. It's, a. Uh, it's been something else to you. Daisy are so open with your life. I mean, I followed your blog for years. I, I met Daisy, um, through my husband. Um, they did wild party out here in LA mm-hmm. together. So, um, I've known Daisy for a while now and I, I started reading your blog way back. And I remember the, and I even went today, I went to try to find the post about when you realized you were pregnant, that post. Uh, But that blog, you have a different one. Like I didn't realize. Yeah, I sort of, I sort of cleared everything out this year and decided to start fresh. Although there are some that I should probably import, but. Well, I just, it was interesting um, to follow your journey through, through to motherhood. I mean, because you know, that was something, um, clearly that from what I've read that was not, um, so much on the radar. You want to you give us a little, like it, that's a whole nother episode in and of itself, right. like besides, yeah. like, but, um, will you, you let us yeah. sort of know where you were at What that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I never really wanted to have kids with any real purpose, you know? I mean, like that when I was young, I was like, if I have a boy, I'll name it Tennessee, like, but I never really thought about it. Um, and then as I got older, I just thought, no, I, you know, I enjoy being able to just like leave the house whenever I want, like just be, have freedom. Um, and my boyfriend and I at the time were broken up and I found out I was 10 and a half weeks pregnant and we were still living together because we just hadn't, I'd been traveling a lot and I hadn't, I just hadn't moved out yet. And because I was so far along, we didn't have a long time to decide uh, what we were going to do. So we basically like had a couple fights. I threw a a couple shoes at him and then, you know, went to a hotel for a weekend by myself and thought about it. And he thought about it. And and we decided to have him for I to this day, I don't really know what like what that decision really came from. Um, and here we are seven years later and he's, 
Yeah. And I'm a full-time stay-at-home parent. <laughs> Which yeah. has a whole new meaning right now. Yeah. Full-time right. stay-at-home has a whole different definition. Yeah. 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 These times. Yeah. Yeah. And some of us that is not, I mean, I, it's not my ideal. Yeah. <laughs> I no. don't think, I'm, you know. I'm not a teacher, it turns yeah. out. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it's been bumpy. It's been very bumpy. Um, and I've gone through a lot in my own like sort of personal journey and my identity and all these kinds of things. And, um, Kurt and I, like we decided to have the kid and get back together, but we didn't really, we worked a little bit on the relationship, but not really. And he was having a lot of his own struggles. And so we broke up again when Monty was like three, um, and then it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that we were sort of living together again for the sake of Monty, because I, I don't know who can afford two separate apartments anywhere, but in New York or L.A. Um, and I don't know. I just realized after all those years that I actually really liked Kurt a lot. <laughs> um, and I was actually at that point in a relationship with someone else. And it was, it was a not, it was a polyamorous relationship. They were married and their wife had like 17 other partners. Um, so uh, yeah, so the window was open for that and I don't know. And so we got back together and then, uh, moved back out to LA together and we just got married a, a few weeks ago. <laughs> Congratulations. I mean, why not so get married in a pandemic? And- I mean, <laughs> he, you know, it's funny. He lost his, he, he got furloughed from work and he lost his health insurance. And I've just been fortunate enough to have worked a lot over the past couple of years. Um, and SAG has terrific insurance and it's really affordable. And their codependent, ins- their, their dependent insurance is super cheap especially compared to equity where it's like $7,000. Right. Yeah. Um, so in our introduction at our wedding, our, the woman who married us, she'd like sent us a couple different options for scripts and the intro, I rewrote it and I was like, you know, we don't really believe in this institution. And it was started as a way to like barter women for like, peace or, you know, peace or property or whatever. Um, and so we feel, we feel proud that we're doing our part to overturn the patriarchy in that, in that, in this union, the man is the one getting access to a basic human right. <laughs> Whereas yeah. it's usually a woman. So I'm down. Well done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like we, we skipped over a lot in the middle of sure, how, sure. Like, your journey. <laughs> Yeah. Which is great. Uh, but maybe could you take us back? I mean, from what I've read, you came out to your parents when you were 12. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your journey with sexuality, gender identity, all of that. Can you kind of take us through the path that you have been on? Because we know where you landed up and where you began, yeah. but everything that happened kind of in between. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I just – I'm writing about this right now for an essay. Um. You know, I grew up in New York. I'm very lucky that I grew up in a place where people were generally liberal and progressive. And I grew up in a family that was very liberal and progressive. Although now looking back, I'm like, there wasn't a lot of color diversity in my life, 
even though my parents were involved with like the Black Panther Party and the Weather Underground and like <clears throat> really involved in the civil rights movement, but in our personal circle, it was it was pretty white. Um, but there was a lot of um, there were a lot of gay people around us growing up. And then I became an actor when I was nine and, you know, I was in musical theater. So yeah. um, there were just a the, few gays. Just yeah, a just a couple. <laughs> you know, most, most of the men that I knew were gay. And, um, but, the, but at this point in the nineties, like the lesbians that I was aware of were like, you know, the dykes on bikes and five lesbian brothers. Like it wasn't, I didn't know any, I certainly like the idea of a femme lesbian. I didn't know what that was. Um, or bisexual, forget about it. Even though my friends and I at our school, we, we sort of all decided we were bisexual. And I was again, very lucky to be in the group of like queerdos at school. And my parents, you know, they didn't care. And it turned out my father's, uh, well, at the time he came out as a crossdresser and now it, Apparently, uh, he's non-binary, which he didn't figure out until his late seventies. So, um, I know bless, bless this new world. Yes. Um, and I was very worried about my career in the nineties because, you know, Ellen hadn't even come out. And then when she did come out, they canceled her show. So in New York, I've, the the sense that I got was like, it's okay for men to be gay in our community, but like, you know, we don't really talk about women being gay. Um, and if they are, they're like, the term at the time was bull dyke, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up in Park Slope where like, there were a lot of like crunchy Birkenstock wearing lesbians adopting kids. Uh but it was still very like counterculture and I was, and I didn't identify with them necessarily, I guess. And then in my, in my industry, I was being forced to look a certain way and behave a certain way. And it is not like it is today. I mean, you know, I was dyeing my hair green and everyone was like, you're never going to work. And now it's like, if a teenager is on TV and they don't have green hair, you're like, what's wrong with that kid? (laughs) Um, um, So, you know, I, I had to sort of go back in the closet and um, I sort of dipped my toe back out of the closet over the years as, as sort of much as I felt safe to. Um, And then it really wasn't until Kurt and I broke up this last time and I, I met, a woman and I fell in love with her and that was a very tumultuous, not good relationship, uh, which I'm told is, is appropriate for your first real life (laughs) relationship. You're supposed to break up eight times. Um, and when that ended, uh, a while later I met, um, my next partner, uh, who was non-binary, um, and Polly and a friend of mine joked that I went from like kind of bisexual to like, (laughs) full-on queer poly in under six months. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a lot of time to make up for. I yeah, did. I really did. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and it is, it's a different time in our industry now. And um, there's a lot more room for a lot more representation. And I came, I, I went on tour with the humans and I was dating this person 
who was non-binary and I um, went through my own sort of journey with my own gender identity. I think just sort of realizing like, it's not that I'm not female. um, It's just that I don't feel like it's so complicated and it's really hard to unravel. It's like a, it's like a ball of yarn that's all tangled up, but I never felt like the women that, that were being shown to me, you know? Right. Like societal. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The but idea that, of but what that people... in itself, right. But that in itself is just a, a, a social construct. So right. that's not really real anyway. But it's may also magnified by our industry. I think that's yes. the thing that's so, there's so much pressure in our industry for women to look a certain way. Yes. And, and I was so told I, all my life, all my career, like, oh, well, you're, you're the chubby lesbian. Like, all, all my life. Um, <laughs> God. God. Um, and it didn't matter if I had long hair, short hair, I was always the chubby lesbian. Um, also didn't seem to matter how much I weighed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I never felt comfortable with any of the images that were being shown to me, but I also understand that those aren't real. Uh, I think in some ways I identify as a woman because I feel okay with my body. Like I don't look at my body and say, this isn't the right body for me. And I think also I identify with the underdog. Um, but I, but I, but I identify as a non-binary female because, um, I don't have like a strong inner core identity of, of femaleness. I don't know what that feels like. And I, in my reading and my paying attention to like trans issues, I thought, well, how could you possibly know that you're a man? Like, how could you know that? And I realized, oh, some people actually really do know intrinsically what their gender is. Mm. And I don't. And so for me, that that means that I... I, I'm more comfortable identifying as, as a non-binary female. And then after I got off the tour of the humans, I was like, I need to cut my hair for once and for all. I can't deal with, I hate my hair long. I've never liked it. You know, and everyone was like, you're going to pigeonhole yourself. You're going to, you know, stereotype yourself. And I was like, yeah, but I, but I'm getting cast in those roles anyway. So who, what difference does it make? And if it really does end my career, then fine. Like I, I have to be who I am. I'm 40, you know? Mm. Um, and I cut my hair and then a couple weeks later I got a TV gig playing like a butchy lesbian. Um, <laughs> and I was like, finally, I actually matched the thing. <laughs> right. Um, and that felt very important to me because I felt like I was being seen finally. And I felt like I was helping other people feel seen, um, in a way that was never offered to, to me earlier in my career. And that's due, I think, a lot to the millennials who were like, I don't want to keep seeing the same shit on TV or in the movies or in culture. Um, and so I think we owe them a lot. Absolutely. It's so funny as you're talking about this, not having this strong identification with being a female, whatever that is, but knowing that intrinsically you don't feel like a male. I wonder how carrying a baby felt like, how did that play into your identification um, and how you felt in your gender? Yeah. I mean, at that point I wasn't um, going through so much. 
I mean, I always knew I was a tomboy, and I always knew that I wasn't necessarily straight. Um, and and also, even though it was only seven years ago, there wasn't the sort of resources that there are now. You you never saw like a trans man pregnant, you know. So yeah. I don't know that it, I don't know that those thoughts even really occurred to me. Um, but I, I never felt like, oh, now I'm a woman, you know, you always, a lot of times you'll hear women say like, you're not a woman until you X, Y, Z. And I, you know, one of those is like, (laughs) have a baby, which is so shitty and, and privileged and ableist and all those things. But, um, I will say that I loved being pregnant. I felt amazing. Um, Oh, yeah. My first time I felt amazing. My second time, not so much. But that's why I think that's part of the reason I didn't have a second one is I was like, I don't want to push my luck, especially also just because Monty was so good and easy. And I thought the next one's going to be a Damien child. So (laughs) I'm not going to I feel like the universe was like, here's your one good thing. Don't fuck it up. but I Which is enough I, pressure itself. Yeah, yeah. I had, you know, I just felt um, mentally, I felt incredible, and I even, you know, I had to go off one of my medications because mm. it wasn't, it was like a class C or whatever the hell, and I was very worried about that. But I, I was on cloud nine, man. I loved it um, up until about five minutes, five months after I gave birth, and then I plummeted. But, mm. um, but yeah, it didn't I didn't have any like weird gender stuff. I was like, wow, there's a human in there. I know. Yeah. It's, it's like a weird wild. science experiment. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's so wild. Oh. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh my God. Well, you okay. just touched on, Daisy, you just touched on it when you said that about your medication that you had to go off of. And I know yeah. that um, that's a huge part of of your journey just through life as a person. And I know that it was you struggled a long time. You're very open about um, mental health. And um, I think that the, have you ever felt like the stigma? Like, was it something, cause you are so open and I'm not sure when you decided to be so open, right? I mean, like you were saying seven years ago, even it, what the world wasn't the same. So I can imagine that if it was a while back, that that was something that, um, maybe you had to give a second thought to, or if you thought that it affected your career in any way or how you were perceived. Yeah, I think it absolutely has affected my career. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but Mm -hmm. again, it's like, I just, I think it was like I was born 20 years too early, (laughs) you know, like I was meant to be. And I feel like, I feel like for a lot of my life, I was sort of 
yelling into a, a void and I felt very alone. And I don't think there was a moment where I was like, this is the person I'm going to be. I'm going to be very open and honest. I think I just, I don't really know any other way to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think it's cost me a lot. I think it's cost me work and friendships and relationships. Um, you know, e- even though even though we're a lot more aware of mental health issues today, it's still hard, I know, to be friends with somebody who has a lot of depression and anxiety because you don't know what to say to them. And also a lot of times you're like, oh my God, again, you're upset. But it's like, yes, again, I'm upset. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, um, and also you want to say things like just get up and take a walk, which is not the right thing to say to to somebody who's like, you know, in bed, depressed. Um, But when I I did this really doofy, doofy reality show at the very beginning of reality shows called The It Factor, which was on Bravo. And it was literally their first reality TV show. I ruined the world. (laughs) Um, And it was, you know, it was, they were following eight actors in New York to see like what it was like to be an actor and what it takes to like make it. And do you have the it factor? And I was, I was the one who was like, I had been a child star and I was, you know, now I was an adult and I was struggling to come into my own and X, Y, Z. And I joke that like, you know, how in reality TV, they edit people to, to fit into a, a, so they edited me to seem angry and depressed in that I showed up and I was angry and depressed and they just hit record. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a, and that was a very, very difficult point in my life. I had had a full, complete nervous breakdown and I was on medication for, for the first time. And I was very resentful about my success and about, you know, having lost my mother. So, so shortly after my success, uh, so I was not, and I was also 19, which like, go talk to a 19 year old today. They're not, well, maybe today they're a little, but they're not, they're not that no, it's not no. a great place. You no, couldn't pay no, me to go place. to go back there. No. Um, and in my defense, like I was I was on Broadway at the time. Like it's not like I was, you know, doing heroin in an alley. But there was an episode of the good of the It Factor where I was going into audition for like a commercial for an antidepressant. And I said, I know that these companies test on animals and I f- I have a lot of feelings about that, but I also know that like I wouldn't be alive without my medication today. So, so it's hard. And I don't know that I even thought about like, Oh, I'm sharing with the world that I'm on medication. I think, I think it was just important to me to say like, yes, medication is problematic, but also it saved my life. Mm -hmm. So I am not embarrassed about it. Um, and nobody else was doing that at the time. Nobody else was talking about being on medication. And again, like I feel like I in some ways was was yelling into a void mm. um, and not getting a lot of feedback back except for like, y- y- you, we, you're, you're too angry and depressed. Right. Or like we don't want to talk about, we you remind us that mental health issues are a problem and therefore we don't want you around. Mm. Um. But, you know, I was also talking about, like, rape and rape culture 
before the Me Too movement happened, and I was talking about abortion before people were like admitting you that were so you're just so open. Do you know what I mean? And you're a truth teller, and and I think there is. I love that. And Kara and I strive on this podcast to be honest and truthful and open with ourselves. And even today, like we had an episode talking about mental health and I talked about being on medication now and what good it's been doing for me. And my father was like, I can't believe you talked about that. I can't believe you said that. And it's like, yeah. And I said, but that's who we are. And I, and I am wanting to unapologetically be who I am and exactly and be truthful. And, um, and, and so be it, whatever may come. But I do feel that there is a shift happening with regard to people being able to acknowledge all parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. 1000%. It's funny. It's easy. You were talking about when you were 19 and we're relatively the same age as well. And my first year of college, I was on anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. So it would have been around the same time. And I, I mean, it was tough. My parents were going through a divorce. I was the first time I was away from them and trying to dismantle that and unpack that while figuring out who I was. But I never would have felt open during that time to talk about it ever. Now, I mean, it's not an issue, but I, so I, even just knowing how I felt in that moment, 20 plus years ago, I can only imagine what that meant for you to speak so openly. Yeah. And that was also, I mean, I, that was the late nineties, right? Mid late nineties. And it was, you know, that was like, Prozac. Like that's what we knew. It was like mm-hmm. Prozac. And we and f- as far as we knew, like crazy people went on Prozac. And so and also and also that was a period too where we felt like doctors were starting to like overprescribe. Mm-hmm. Um so if a doctor said I think you need and I did have a doctor say to me within 15 minutes, I think you should be on Prozac and I was like you don't know who I am. I mean, he was probably right <laughs> in retrospect, <laughs> but um, it felt a little like he was jumping the gun. It's so funny because now I'm thinking about like that book Prozac Nation and the movie, which I auditioned for. And I remember at the time I had a shaved head because it was another period where I was like, fuck this industry. Yeah. I'm going to be who I am. And they were like, fuck you right back. <laughs> we're not going <laughs> to give you work. And the, you know, the great irony is, I mean, you know, it's not like Winona Ryder is free from her own issues, but like, I don't have borderline personality disorder, but you know, I was, I was pretty right for that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in some ways they were like, oh no, you, you actually have issues. So we're going to go elsewhere. Um, oh, fun times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we also think about it in terms of like, or we did anyway, psychiatric hospitals. And I think our idea was like, if you're on medication, you're, you're zonked out and you're drooling. And, and so you can't work with like cuckoo's nest or something like, right, exactly. Yeah. But that's, you know, that is, and in some ways it is what it used to be. I think if women especially were too loud or too angry or quote unquote hysterical, they were drugged up and put in a room somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and forgotten about, um, or they, you know, walked into the river with rocks in their pockets. And I think now we're finally like, look, I can be depressed and I can have anxiety and I can also be really angry, legitimate, I can be righteously angry and I can also go to work and do my job and raise a kid. Like these are things that can all exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
We talk a lot about that thing, like things simultaneously, simultaneously existing that seem to be um, polar opposites. Like even just being a a mother, like I can be completely and totally frustrated and annoyed that I have to do these things and take care of this stuff and still love my child with every ounce of my being. It's this duality of being a human. You know, if you're one thing, it doesn't mean you're not another. Right. We, I was talking about that with Kurt, my, my, I still feel weird saying husband. <laughs> um, like last week, you know, M- Monty's going through it right now because we're all going through it. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, Jessica, you had sort of reached out to me because I put something online about, oh my God, I, this is so hard. And I appreciate you reaching out to me about it. And I was able to sort of take a step back and go, this was hard enough with the pandemic. I mean, look, for as far as I'm concerned, it was hard enough before the pandemic because just and I don't know yeah. if you saw it in was. my blog, but I was I said we're going to start to have riots really soon. Well, I everyone I, should prepare. I actually <laughs> I just texted Kara before we started this cuz I was going <laughs> back and looking at a couple things cuz knowing where we are in in the world right now and with the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests that are happening, um, I had gone back because I thought I had remembered something. And sure enough, on April 10th, Daisy, you wrote a blog post. And inside that post, you wrote, capitalism and racism are far too entrenched. In order to create real change, there would need to be the kind of collapse that is scary and not easy to live through. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was. it's sort of prophetic in, in that you wrote that only two months ago. Yeah. Well, I... Because I've seen this coming for a long time and you can't keep punching an animal or person in the face. You can't back an animal into a corner. And and by animal, I mean all of us as a people. And then separately, of course, we've got black people who are being lynched. How, how many years after Jim Crow supposedly ended? Right. How many years after slavery, slavery supposedly ended? And my feeling is if your eyes are at least a little bit open, y- you had to have seen this coming because mm-hmm. this is unsustain the, the way we've been living is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And the old white men who are in power are dying out. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. And the younger generation, and again, the millennials are coming in and saying, no, this can't happen. This can't be like this. But in order for it to f- get fixed, it's got to, it has to break completely. Yeah. Um, and I've been reading, you know, I've been reading a lot about, you know, um, black liberation and anti-racism. And I-, I just didn't see any way out of where we are without, without this. Anyway, my point is that I, I live in a space and I've lived in a space my whole life where I'm like, this sh- this reality that we're living in is not, this isn't going to hold. Mm-hmm. And it's it's held together, right? And it's like scotch tape over, you know, over a geyser. Yeah. So I've been sort of braced for a long time. Then I just remembered this morning that a few days after Trump was elected, I was sitting in the green room at the Shakespeare Theater in Washington, D.C., and I was listening to, like, the, the Daily or NPR or something, and I just put my head down and wept. And somebody was like, I, th- I think maybe you should go to the dressing room because there were, like, kids around. But I thought this morning, I was like, this, what's happening right now is why I was weeping. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so it, it occurred to me and it occurs to me and I forget it. And it occurs to me again. I forget it that Monty is seven and this shit is hard for us to process even without the pandemic, even without the riot, the, the the political unrest and the riots and the protests and the rallies and the police state that we're living in, like even just Trump as president was too much to to process. So now adding all these other things, we're all going insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so of and so of course he's going to throw things and freak out and not want to feed the dog and not want you know like of course. And of course he just wants to yeah. go to the pool and and sit there and watch number blocks and he just wants to feel okay and yes. I think that's a desire that everybody is feeling so yes. deeply right now. They just want to feel okay and it's not nothing is no. okay right now. And I think we're also so used to living on this like this like rabbit wheel this hamster wheel that's going too fast, you know? And I think I think as awful as all of this is, it really, the positive, I think, is that it does give us a, a chance to just take a pause and mm-hmm. take a deep breath and just say, what is the important thing right now? Like, yeah. is it important that he sits in this reading class that he's <laughs> mad because he can't come up with all the words? Is that important or is it important that he get a hug and that we sit together quietly and I read to him about exploding farts, which is all he wants to read about. <laughs> Fine. Because it's that, light. It's like, yeah. you know, it doesn't yeah. take any energy. You know, at the end of right. the day, it's I, you know, Eric, <laughs> Elliot will go to bed and Eric will be like, what are we going to watch? And I'm like, can we just watch like Top Chef or something? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. want he he's still like, even though he's going through this and processing it as mm-hmm. well, he finds comfort in watching movies and things and yeah. escaping into the world of art. And for yeah. me, I'm literally like, I don't want to have to think any yeah. more. I, I, we, I went to sleep last night. I fell asleep as soon as Monty did. And then I woke up at one point and came out and Kurt was watching the minority report. And I was like, yeah, or minority report, you know, the time. Yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. yep. And I was yeah, like, yeah. I, I get it. And the night before last, I got obliterated drunk. I mean, I was like, it was a hard day. And I was like, I am going to drink until I don't know what's happening anymore. (laughs) And I did. And Kurt the next day was like, did you watch Skyfall last night? And I was like, you know, anything is possible. (laughs) (laughs) Anything is possible. I did that. I did that with Del Taco the other day. Like we had, I had a really hard day and I, it was only like one in the afternoon here. And I went out to Eric and I was like, who wants Del Taco? Because I'm going right now. Screw no gluten, screw no dairy. I'm going to eat it all. That's when I texted you, Jess, that we like we just had a family drunken dance party in our <laughs> kitchen. And then I was like, and you should see Graham and I trying to put our kids to bed right now. I mean, it is just like we can't manage it. No, no. <laughs> but it's all just so overwhelming and it's so heavy. Yeah. And it's yeah, and you want to you it, there are so many things you want to do, and there's so many facets of it and parts of it that are yeah. It, I mean, it well, already and also was how, a lot. how long is this going to last? And it's like, in, in one sense, it's like, it's okay if he just wants to sit there and watch whatever. Yeah. But also, how long is this going to last? Right. And like, where does the point come where you go, oh, okay, now we can't spend all day sitting on the couch because this is actually this just is what life it is. now. This is right. just life. Exactly. Right. And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic as far as america is concerned when we started to get panicked about it 
I was getting into the shower one day and I, unfortunately, my bathroom is just all mirrors. And I'm looking at my body and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, oh, I'm going to probably, I'm going to gain weight. And then I thought, wow, we're all going to get, like all the actors who are not working are going to gain weight. And I thought, what's going to happen when the studios reopen and all the TV actors are 10, 20 pounds heavier and there's no time to lose the weight. And the studio execs are just going to have to be like, okay, this is what everyone looks like now. And I hope, I hope, I hope. But for me, it was a matter of like, I mean, I've always struggled. I'm a woman in the industry, so I've always struggled with my body. And my body wants to be much fatter than than I let it. Um, But I had to get to a point where I was like, you know what? If I want to, if I want to eat cake or whatever the fuck, I'm, that's what I'm going to do because that's the thing that's making me feel better. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. I look at, when I look at my body and it's not where I want it to be, I just go, that's okay. I'm, I'm taking surviving. care. I'm like nurturing. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> surviving. I'm surviving. And that's all you can do. Yeah. I, yeah. Same girl, yeah. sir. I, mean, <laughs> I feel like that's all Jess and I talk about. <laughs> I mean, it's like those first few weeks I got here, Eric, you know, he had the virus. He was down yeah. for the count. And I was with Elliot all day, every day, ooh, ooh. doing all the things and like having an only who loves to pretend and her imagination and, you know, and I was eating a lot of Triscuits. And cheese (laughs) and I was drinking a lot of wine and I looked, I looked in the mirror one day and I was like, or I went to put on some jeans or something. I was like, Oh, these (laughs) fit differently when I got here, you know? And it's amazing how quickly though, you know, it's like there are days where I don't hit 3000 steps easy. You know what I mean? And like going, cause I'm not going anywhere. So I I've started running, which is like run walking, let's be honest. But like, (laughs) if I go out and I start the day with that, I've at least done like 7,000 steps. And I'm like, okay, so I've started somewhere, but I realized, you know, I used to go up and down five flights of stairs, like eight times a show. Yeah. And that was just well, even, show, even, and not just, even just walking in the city. Yeah. I mean, even moving to LA. Yeah. Moving back to LA from New York. Like I, I'm so sedentary here. Like I don't, I don't have to walk anywhere. I mean, I have a dog. So I walk around the block or whatever, but like in New York, yeah. when I was in high school, I used to, I had a 50 pound backpack or however heavy, heavy it was. And I would walk from Soho to the Upper West Side, like once a week for therapy. And I could have easily taken the subway, but it's just like, that's what yeah. you do in New York. You just walk yeah, yeah. and like you just walk. all the neighborhoods get to, you know, you see the neighborhoods change from like street to street. and it, But here it's like, just sit on the couch. Yeah. Well, and especially right now, it's just also, yeah. you know, when on one of our, our Zoom calls with Tina, you know, one of our cast members just said, I pray that everyone can find a little bit of joy today yeah. because yeah. everything is heavy, that it, it's yeah. all heavy. And I think, you know, I, I'm sleeping a lot here, like eight or nine hours more than I've gotten in years, but I'm still exhausted and yawning oh, by yeah. like one in the afternoon. And it's because yeah. the exhaustion of where we are at, of the constant information coming in, being inundated with, um, you know, pictures and videos of, and things, these are all things we need to be aware of and that we need to actively, but now, you know, and now the work is actively doing the work, right. Right. To, to show our support and to become more evolved people and to help raise anti-racist children and, and, um, just it's all, and we want to do that, but 
right. boy, on top of a pandemic yeah, and everything. And I wanted and, to bring Monty know. to the, to the rally yesterday, but you know, it's 20,000 people and it's hard to have a seven-year-old keep his goddamn mask on. Yeah. And God forbid I get sick. Like yeah. I just, it didn't, I had to give myself permission to, um, just step out of that one. Mm-hmm. And I've yeah. sat down with him and I had, you know, we did the flashlight vigil for George Floyd last week and he wanted to know what that was about. And so we sat down and we had a very difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. I told him about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and I told him about Tamir Rice. And I, when I told him about Tamir, he burst into tears mm-hmm. and he said, he was like killing, they killed a kid. And I said, yes. And he said, that's, that's rude. And I said, yeah, it's very rude. (laughs) And then he said, it's despicable. And, you know, and, and I said, what can we do to try to make it better? And he said, well, if I was president, I would say no killing and no guns. And I said, yes, that's great. What can we do today without being president? And then again, it reminded me a few days later when he was flipping out and, you know, whatever it was he was having a tantrum about, I thought, yeah, like mm-hmm. he, he just learned that like the police who just, just last week in school, they were talking about, you know, the police are here to protect us. Like he just is mm-hmm. learning that that's not necessarily the case for everyone. And I, how do you fit that into your brain? Right. Yeah. 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 On top of not yeah. being with your friends and not seeing yeah. them and not, yeah. Yeah. Not exactly. having any quote unquote normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and all of his friends at school are, are brown, all yeah. of them. That's what Elliot's, so Elliot's a minority at her school too. And so for her, this has been. Yeah. Yeah. In his mind, I think he thinks like, you know, they're going to get shot. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, our, oh, <sighs> poor so yeah, it's exhausting. By by noon or one o'clock every day, I'm like, how am I going to make it? And you know, Kurt is now working full time again, which is thank goodness. Right. But that comes with its own like scary. He works at Guitar Center, which is like a you know, we just yeah. get worried they're going to be like looted. Although they haven't, thank God, knock on wood. But he's gone from like ten thirty to eight. I'm like ah. Um, and I'm very very lucky my sister moved here in February and she moved like three blocks away thank the lord Mm, and she she was a nanny for so many years so she she does all the school with him she's got all the tricks too oh thank god yeah because I if she wasn't here I probably would have yeah jumped off the roof by now I mean I don't have a high threshold (laughs) 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 um so I'm very, very lucky. <laughs> well, I, anytime you come on and tell us, you know, we, it is, and there, I know sometimes all we can do is say, you know, solidarity. Like I, yeah. I, I hear you. It. I feel you. Right. Yeah. And that's all I really need. Yeah. I, I remember in the beginning I posted something like they just said school's going to be closed till the end of the year and I, my career is going to die. And people were like, yeah, everyone's in that. And I was like, oh, sorry. Oh, I, God. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Oh God. <laughs> I know my pain is not. Matter. Uh, <laughs> it's all just it's but we're all doing the yeah. best we can yeah right exactly. and, and exactly. there may be missteps and there may yeah. be you know y- you 
Well, and also when you're in a vulnerable place and someone says we're all in the same boat, you don't read it as like, oh, girl, I'm in the boat with you. You read it as like, yeah, bitch, shut up. (laughs) Which is not what they, you know, probably are meaning. Oh, my gosh. Daisy, I feel Uh, like we could sit here and like keep chatting. I know. Just chat for ages and ages. (laughs) Maybe we'll do a part two. Come on back. We can talk more. I'd be happy to. Because also you're now a doula and you're all these things. Like there's these things. There's yeah. so much. There's so much. Are you I mean, able to do any of that right now? I mean, I know no. you got certified, but I didn't get certified because I have I did the training. Okay. Now, in order to get certified, you have to attend three births, um, and you have to go to a, a childbirth class, and so I can't do any of those things. Um, and so right now, I'm just compiling a list of. Uh, practitioners that I can recommend and I'm doing the reading, which has to be done, but also you don't have to be certified to be a doula. That's like a, that's sort of a newer thing that like bougie people are like, well, are you certified? (laughs) And my, and my teacher, my teacher was like, you were born a doula. You already are a doula. Like, and I, yeah. And I already attended obviously my own birth, but a friend's birth, um, years ago. Uh, I just can't, be there in person right, there right now. now. So I'm just, I'm just waiting. And then I'm taking my postpartum doula training at the end of August. So awesome. I, I did not have a doula for my first birth and I had a, I did have a doula for my second and the yeah. difference in the experience, I can't even begin yeah. to ex, uh, explain. It was, I felt so much more in charge of what was happening to me instead of yeah. just being a passenger. I felt I, like an authority. I had a very new doula at mine cause I couldn't afford like a, an experienced one. And I'm so glad that I had her, but I realized in my lessons, there were things that, you know, got missed, which is fine. It it was the way it was and he's healthy and happy and thank the, thank the goddesses above. Um, but doulas are great. They are. They (laughs) are. They rock. Well, thank you, Daisy. Thank you so much. Thank you you guys. I really appreciate it. This was fantastic. This was awesome. I love what you do. Thank you. And good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Surviving the rest of the day. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Surviving. We're almost done with the remote learning. So you're almost, <laughs> almost. almost there. So close. <laughs> Although then it's, then what do we do? I know. Then I what? know. That's Let's not even talk about that. <laughs> Be well, girl. You too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talkin' Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our awesome theme song, our producers Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. If you like what you're hearing and you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and of course, subscribe and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.